My parents, when I was growing up, their uh, nickname for me was the name Rosebud. I'm not quite sure how I deserve that or how that name came about, but that was their term of endearment for me. Uh, we addressed each of our children uh, with terms of endearment. I've shared some of them uh, with you. My favorite actually is the name Manimal, which we have given to our uh, second son, Matthew. Part man, part animal, all manimal. His godmother actually takes umbrage with this. She's nodding in disapproval even now uh, with this name, and she prefers the name Bangel, being boy angel. But thus far, you'd have to say that the manimal is far more uh, characteristic of, of Matthew's date. Jennifer and I have terms of endearment for one another, but I will spare you the uh, delicacies of those. Terms of endearment. You know, throughout the Gospels, Jesus refers to you and me in any number of ways. Some are, some are somewhat predictable. He calls us students. He calls us disciples. Uh, but some of the ways that Jesus refers to you and me are surprising. They're surprising in their intimacy, uh, surprising in their tenderness. And so we're beginning a new sermon series today entitled, Terms of endearment, those surprising phrases and titles that Jesus gives to you and me, cherished words of affection. And the first one is friends. No longer do I call you my servant, but now I call you my friend. Several weeks ago, I was speaking with a parent. And we were commiserating about the importance of friends for our children as they grow up, as they enter middle school, as they enter high school and beyond, of how much that we long for our children to be surrounded by good friends and how grieved we were when that was not the case, when that seemed to be lacking, when there was a little social vacuum and how thrilled we were when that was the case. What a relief it was to know that our, our children were surrounded by good friends. You know, it's not just parents who recognize the value of good friends. Medical science is close on the heels. The studies abound of the benefits to your health that come from friendship. Probably the most famous one was a study done in 2006 of nearly 3,000 women who were diagnosed with breast cancer. And by a factor of four, one of the indicators of survival from that diagnosis was a close circle of friends. Now that's just remarkable, isn't it? By a factor of four, those people who had close friends, had a close network, were much more likely, four times more likely to survive. Friendships. Uh, useful in reducing everything from the common cold to a heart disease to stress. It's, that's especially true of women, that friendships are especially helpful in mitigating stress for women. Men tend to have two reactions to stress, fight or flight. Women have a much broader behavioral repertoire, uh, which includes uh, tending and befriending. I thought the most compelling study was simply this, that of all the factors that can lead to a physically healthy life, now, what would those be if you had to think? What, what are the things I need to do in order to live a healthy life? You know what the number one thing is? Don't smoke. 
Number two thing is, wear your seatbelt. Number three thing, friends. The third most important thing of the quality of the health uh, of your life is the circle of friends that surround you. In all this data that I've just unloaded on you simply affirms uh, what the Bible would say in the book of Proverbs about the value of a friend, what this mother would say about uh, her assessment of her children, that everybody just needs a wingman. Everybody needs a friend. And so it should be especially reassuring to you and me that Jesus calls us friend. You know, he rightly inhabits many titles, Jesus does. He is our teacher from whom we learn. He is our Lord in whom we follow, our Savior in whom we trust. But perhaps the most intimate is this title of friend. I mean, there's something leveling about a friendship, isn't it? We are friends with our peers. Now, that's not a perfect analogy, as we'll see, but uh, there's something intimate and personal about a friendship. A little Susie is our three-year-old, and she'll often come back from preschool. She goes up to First Baptist Preschool, and she will come back with a, uh, a stack full of stickers. Uh, why, do, why do preschool teachers give young children stickers? I'll never know, because, of course, Susie just sticks them everywhere, furniture, house, refrigerator, etc. So I'm always chiseling them off with some tool. But the stickers are all Christian-themed, and they say, you know, Jesus loves you, right? Has Jesus' heart you. And, you know, maybe it's because I've heard it so much, we've sung it so much from an early age, Jesus loves you, this you know, for the Bible tells you so. Like the emotional reaction is just not very high when I see Jesus heart you. It just doesn't capture me. But here's something compelling that is indicated by this term friendship, that Jesus does not just love you, Right? That's sort of his job, if we think. I don't mean to be glib, but if you think, of course Jesus loves you. That's what he, sort of he does. But he's your friend, which means he may not only love you, he may like you. So Jennifer and I will often have vigorous conversations that are resolved, or the path to a resolution includes this comment. I love you, I just don't like you. I trust I'm not the only marriage that has had that very same conversation Nothing. No, no one else has had that? <laughs> really? Okay, thank you, Robbie. I appreciate the hand. Yeah. I love you. I just don't like you. Meaning the marriage, we're not going anywhere, right? You know, we're still in it. I just don't want to spend time with you. And I, I think that may be a little bit of how we think about Jesus. Yeah, he loves me. Does he actually like me? Does he actually, is he for me? Is he in my corner? Is he with me? Yes. He's your friend. It's very reassuring. A friend is for you. A friend is with you. A friend believes the best about you. A friend is there in the good and the bad. And Jesus' friendship is of the highest caliber. Do you see the mark of his friendship? He is the one who lays down his life for his friends. Of course, the laying down of his life refers to the cross upon which he died. That is his laying down of his life for you and for me. John Stott writes the following, and I adapt this uh, from his reflections. 
how can you and I believe in the friendship of Jesus Christ? There seems to be so much contrary evidence. And there seems to be little evidence to support that he is your friend. Jesus demonstrates his friendship for us in this, that he lays down his life for his friends. What makes suffering so insufferable is not so much the pain involved, but the feeling that nobody cares. We may picture Jesus lounging in a celestial armchair, indifferent to the world, but it is this slanderous caricature of Jesus which the cross just smashes to smithereens. We are not to view our friend Jesus on a comfortable chair, but instead upon a cross. For our friend who allows us to suffer, suffered himself and continues to suffer with us today. Yes, there still remains a question about the whys of human suffering, but over that question mark, we boldly stamp another mark, that being the cross. And it is in the cross that we find the nature of Jesus' friendship. He is the friend who lays down his life for you. Everybody needs a friend. Everybody needs a wingman. There's no better friend than Jesus. We receive him simply by opening up our heart. Through faith, thank him for his friendship. Thank him that he laid down his life for you. He is the true friend. Let's move on in our sermon notes. The second point that I make is friendship initiated. Now this is John chapter 15, verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I now make known to you. Right, one of the marks of Jesus' friendship with us is his intimacy. All that I know from the Father, all that I've seen, all that I have heard from the Father, I now make known to you. Now commentators and theologians point to this as one of the most clear statements about the divinity of Jesus Christ. You may hear on occasion that Jesus never claimed to be God. He always claimed to be a good person who happened to die. It's the early church that sort of foisted this claim of divinity upon Jesus. Not the case. And here's one of the clearest arguments to the contrary. He is the Son who sees the Father and who reveals the Father's will to you and me. But in the context, which is all very true, but in the context of friendship, and not only does this verse affirm the divinity of Jesus Christ, but especially in the context of friendship, it reveals the intimacy of his, intimacy of his self-disclosure. You see, everything I've seen, everything I know, everything I hear, I'm going to make known to you. No secrets, right? Secrets, secrets are no fun. Secrets, secrets hurt someone. Jesus say, I'm the friend who's completely intimate, completely, uh, I completely self-disclose to you. Now, we have many friendships that we maintain, and my family was sort of designated many relationships we call relationships that we ought to maintain. These are people to whom we send Christmas cards, people with whom we exchange pleasantries, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm sure every one of us have those types of friendships, which we simply maintain. Yet, there is a difference between 
a maintenance relationship or one that we simply maintain and relationships that sustain us, that actually give us life, that actually make us laugh, which actually relieve some of the burdens of this life. And I think one of the big differences between relationships that only we maintain and relationships that sustain us is the level of intimacy and self-disclosure. Friendships which sustain us are themselves sustained by regular investments of self-disclosure. One author writes, making friends is like managing a bank account. You must make investments. And it's never too early to start. Now, over the past months of the church family, we've been thinking about the place of significant spiritual conversations in the life of the church, of how important it is that we have friendships that actually dip below the waterline. Friendships with whom we can actually say, well, this is the Christmas card, but here's what actually is the real stuff of life, the joys, the sorrows, the good, and the bad. And I think most of us would hunger for that. I was speaking with one small group leader who said, look, if my small group is going to be nothing more than an exchange of pleasantries, I simply have no energy for that. We have plenty of friendships to maintain. What I think most of us would like is a few friends with whom we can say, yeah, this, this is who I am. Uh, someone once wrote that the man who is wholly detached from others, right, the man who is wholly detached from others, or the woman who is wholly detached, who only gives the Christmas card, the one who is wholly detached from others is either an angel or a devil. Since we are neither, we must cultivate friendships. Isn't that true? I think most of us hunger for this. But here's the point of the intimacy of Jesus who fully reveals himself and fully reveals the Father to you and me that Jesus goes below the waterline. He holds no secrets back from you or me. Isn't that something? No secrets. Everything he has seen, everything he's heard, he shows to his followers. That's why he calls them friends. And as good as it is to have earthly friends, and it is good, don't miss the friendship of Jesus Christ. His intimacy, his self-disclosure invites the same from us. To whom do you turn when you need to unburden yourself? To whom do you turn when you're sad? To whom do you turn to celebrate the joys of life? Recently, Jennifer and I encountered a challenge and I said, I just want a friend to talk to. Well, Jesus is a friend. Talk to him. Don't send him don't treat Jesus as a main relationship to be maintained. Don't send him your Christmas card. Don't speak to him with that regularity and with that intimacy. No. He is a friend who bears our burdens. Psalm 55 says, Cast your burdens upon the Lord because he cares for you. He is our intimate friend who desires our intimacy in response move on and finally we note the response the response of friendship up until now we've just considered Jesus offer of friendship to you and me he lays down his life he fully reveals his offer of friendship goes to everybody but note that those whom call him friend have a particular mark about them and that is they are marked by their obedience again follow along me along with me in verse 14 you are my friends if what you do what I command you to do. Now the Bible provides many reasons to listen to Jesus. He is our King. He is our Lord. He is our Master. 
All very good reasons to follow Jesus. But here's another one. He's your friend. And our friendship to him is marked by our loyalty to him. You know, that's why we like our canine friends. That's why Roy Rogers saying about his equine friend. He's saying a four-legged friend, a four-legged friend, he'll never let you down. He's honest and faithful right up to the end. That was Roy Rogers singing about his horse. We have a dog. I don't like my dog. But I'll tell you, that dog is absolutely faithful. Like, whenever I say come, the dog is right there. Like, he's faithful to me. Do you see the distinction? No longer do I call you servants, but now I call you friends. And the mark of your friendship will be your obedience to me. What's the difference between the response of a servant and the response of a friend? On the outside, not very much. Servants, they all do the same thing, but here's the deal. Servants obey because of their submissiveness, right? Why do friends obey? Because of their loyalty. The result may be different. The result may be the same from a servant to a friend, but obedience feels very different from the obedience of a servant to a master, from obedience of a friend to another. Jesus is our friend, and he expresses his friendship most clearly to us as he lays down his life for him, as he lays down his life for us, and we express our friendship most clearly to him as we lay down our life before him. And obedience, that's the response of a friend. A little Bible trivia, there's two people in the Bible who are called friends of God, aside from everybody else. Two people in the Old Testament, Abraham and Moses. Those are the only two people who have been called friends of God. Now, Abraham is actually called, by the Islamic faith, that's his term of endearment. He is the friend of God. What's the mark of Abraham? Faithful obedience. Moses, what's the mark of his friendship? Intimacy. No one has talked to God except like Moses as one talks to a friend. And now this rarefied air occupied by these two pillars of the Old Testament, Moses and Abraham, This rarefied air is offered to you and me that you and I could be a friend to God through Jesus as well. So Jesus calls us his friends. He's for you. He's with you. Friends are side by side. He has shown his friendship for us and that he lays down his life for his friend. Jesus is an intimate friend. He opens up his heart to you and me and asks for the same response from us. Jesus is the loyal friend who expresses his loyalty to us by laying down his life. And he invites our loyalty to him expressed by our obedience to him. But here's the point. Everybody needs a friend. Everybody needs a wingman. Some years ago, in a little science experiment, there were 34 students from UVA who were taken to the base of a hill. Some of these students were placed with a group of friends. Some of them were placed in isolation. Without exception, all those who were in isolation thought the hill was steeper, the climb would take longer than than opposed to those who were with a group of friends. The closer the friendships were, the less steep that hill became and their imagination. Isn't that compelling?
Each one of us face hills in our life. And we all need a friend to overcome those hills. We all need a wingman. And as, as important as friends of flesh and blood are, and they are important, and often neglected by you and me, remember this, that there's somebody else who calls you his friend, Jesus. I thought it would be appropriate if we closed this sermon by singing, there's an old song. It's called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I wonder if we could sing this as a, not just a song, but a prayer. And remember this wonderful term of endearment that Jesus says to each one of us, that I call you my friend.